When you have product market fit in a big market, in our case, education is definitely the first and most important one. It's kind of an oh shit, but good oh shit, as, as you referenced it before. Um, that's kind of what's happened internally last kind of two, three months at Goodkind. Um, I don't think we realized how big uh, the need was when we started. I don't think we realized that more and more and more and more people that talk to customers and are customer facing want to be far more authentic. They're tired of the other stuff, right? The noise. Um, I don't think we realized the power of that until more recently. Um, so to be honest, I don't actually have a good answer for you. Uh, I don't know that there's uh, actually something else I'd rather be, not necessarily rather, because it wasn't really a question, but like if there's something else I'd be working on. And I think I would be working on this. Um, I think Michael would answer the same thing. I think the rest of the team would answer the same thing. And the reason is because it, it's, it's working for our customers. They're seeing value. Welcome to Starter Stories, a podcast that explores the stories behind the world's leading education technology companies and education consultancies and the people who created them. In each episode, you'll hear about the grit, the strategies, the wins, the failures, and the serendipity that transpired to take a half-baked idea and bring it to life. Starter Stories is a podcast of Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher education marketers. Explore our other shows like Fanatical Fridays and CRM Prov or access creative ideas on how to better your student recruitment campaigns via our videos, blogs, and e-courses at enrollify.org. I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz. Enjoy the show. In a moment, you'll meet Justin Rotman, co-founder and CEO of Goodkind. If you were to be a fly on the wall during dinner time at the Rotman home when Justin was in grade school, chances are you'd witness a lively brainstorm of new product, service, and business ideas that just might be the next big thing. Getting good grades wasn't the way in which Justin's parents measured success, but rather the ability to creative problem solve and think critically. Growing up in this environment may or may not have inspired Justin's love of the liberal arts, which ultimately led him to pursue a degree at Queen's University in Ontario. And it was there where Justin would meet a fellow idea generator, Michael Warshawski, who would eventually become co-founder and CTO of Goodkind. But before the idea of building a video messaging platform that makes communications personal again began to percolate, the two tinkered with a few other business ideas, including a textbook e-commerce store, which was poised to disrupt university bookstores across the country. Now, it didn't do so, but it laid the foundation for what would become one of the most exciting ed tech companies to emerge in the last decade. One final note before we dive into the conversation. Goodkind has just been accepted into Y Combinator, the most prestigious of startup accelerators. Many of tech's hottest companies got their start in YC, including Airbnb, Coinbase, DoorDash, Dropbox, and Instacart. With an acceptance rate of only 1.5% and an average of 10,000 applicants per cycle, competition is stiff, to say the least. So if you're inspired by Justin's story, and want to be able to say, I knew good kind when, the best way to do so is to share this content on your social networks and request a demo of their product with a team member at wearegoodkind.com. Again, that's wearegoodkind.com. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Justin Rotman. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Today, I am sitting down with Justin Rotman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Goodkind. Good to be with you, Justin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. 
So I want you to answer this question because I think it will help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. And, you know, we've talked a couple of times, but uh, we don't know each other super well. And the question I've got prepped for you is if I were to come over to your family's house for dinner, if I were uh, to be so lucky as to be invited, and I were sitting around the dinner table with parents, siblings, you know, maybe a couple cousins and some friends, and I were to ask them to tell me about Justin, what would they say? Oh man, that's a, that's a good starting question. Um, likely that I'm always doing something and has have always you know, always done something, um, you know, ever since I was younger, I was always busy, busy with stuff. Um, you know, whether it be side projects, small ventures, I always kept very busy and I like, liked being busy. Uh, so you probably hear that and then I'm really bad at relaxing. Uh, it makes me sound like an incredibly intense person. I'm not, um, I'm just not really good at sitting still. And I ask a ton of questions. I'm fairly inquisitive and that's, you know, been very important. And my own story is just showing care in other people's stories. So that's, that's important to me. What were dinner table conversations like if you, if you had dinner table conversations, yeah. what did that typically look like in your house growing up? Oh, fun. Um, so my dad, uh, ran his own businesses my whole life. So I kind of grew up with that entrepreneurial, it wasn't even called entrepreneurship back then, right? 25 years ago, that's only a pretty recent term made popular by Twitter and so forth. But my dad ran his own business. So I kind of learned by osmosis about how to run and start businesses through him. So I, a lot of our conversations were about that, you know, different problems he may have been facing, questions, challenges, opportunities, uh, and just talking about them. You know, my sister, was part of those conversations my mom and so i'd say a lot of the conversations were about that so for me work isn't really a hobby sorry work is a bit of a hobby it's not really a chore because i enjoy it and this is what my friends and i talk about too love it was there uh not to not to drill into this too much further but i guess I'll, a last follow-up question here is around the table as you guys are was, was it pretty common to talk about new business ideas and opportunities were you talking a little bit more about was it sort of like a business 101 course kind of like lecture from from your dad or what did what did what was sort of the character of those conversations yeah probably the opposite like my parents aren't really lecturers and i'm sure we'll talk about stuff like that as we go through this but it was very much an open conversation like i remember my dad pitching me pitching me on the idea of a virtual mall when i was you know hmm. six or seven years old and um he had that idea and then, you know, look, uh, Amazon. So uh, unfortunately his timing was pretty bad. Not saying he would have been Jeff Bezos or anything, but those are the conversations I remember is, you know, he would always be at the CES show. So the consumer mm. electronics show in Vegas. And that's where people launched the coolest stuff for a very long time. I, I don't know if the quality is still there. I'm sure it still is, but um, I remember those conversations all the time, but Hey, I saw this cool thing. I, you know, yeah, I remember he was part of the first, um, uh, he, he put a, a SIM card in a phone. Uh, sorry, a SIM card in a, in a watch. He was the first huh. person to put a SIM card in a watch uh, in 2006, way too early, right? Uh, and now we know we all wear, you know, Apple watches all the time. But that's just, that was part of my childhood. And, and the creativity that came from that, I am really grateful for. And now that I'm a bit older, I'm seeing the payback of, of all that time and all those conversations. And uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, just having the ability to sort of like flex your creative muscles at a really young age and you know, get you to see the world through this as really sort of just this like 
a space for opportunity uh, and, and a place where you can innovate, right? And you can mm-hmm. put SIM cards in watches even though no one else is doing that at the <laughs> time, right? Uh, that's such a cool environment to work in, uh, to, to grow up in rather. Uh, before we go any further though, can you just give mm-hmm. us the quick sort of like elevator pitch for Goodkind? Like what is Goodkind and why does the world need Goodkind? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, so how we got to building Goodkind is a whole story that you know maybe we can get into later. But uh, in short, Goodkind is a video messaging platform for student or customer facing teams. And what that means in the context of this conversation is uh, admissions advisors, recruiters, enrollment marketers, students, tour guides, professors we've had, deans we've had, they record short asynchronous videos and we deliver those videos via text message or email to students to help nudge them along their journey. And why is this at all important? You know, there was some jargon in what I just said. It's important because we've kind of been tuned out, hmm. right? Uh, fake personalization and bots and chatbots and drip campaigns and all this other stuff, it resonates, but not like it quite once did. And, and why is that? It's because people crave authenticity. And there's more noise really than ever before. And I know you, you talk about that a lot, Zach, and in, in the content that you guys push out. Um, so we kind of believe in anti-noise. Uh, <laughs> and what that, you know, how does that actually come to the fore? It's in these short, very authentic, personal video messages. Um, and that's kind of why we built it and why we exist, is to bring a far more personal and human experience to enrollment marketing. And I'm curious to dive into a little bit of the backstory again i know i know we'll get into more of who you are how you think uh different ideas that you've had that you know date uh that predate good kind but what's just what 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 were sort of maybe like the six to 12 months that led up to to the founding of good kind was was the idea always video sms email messaging or was there an idea that sort of inspired what would become Mm -hmm. what good kind is today Oh, man. Yeah, listen, every startup story is uh, not as linear as people may think from the outside, right? Uh, It's a lot of iteration. It's a lot of testing. It's talking to your customers. Michael and I have been really good at that and very attentive to what our customers ask for and what they say and what their challenges are since really day one. And I think that's partially why we've had some successes, just relentlessly listening to our customers. Um, So the founding story is kind of interesting. So prior to starting Goodkind, I was um, a management consultant and I worked in a bunch of call centers for the biggest banks and telcos in North America. Hmm. Michael also ran uh, some call centers. And at these call centers, we kind of came to the realization that they don't work as well as they once did, right? So really no amount of hacks or automation or, you know, A-B testing really drove any material uplift. And while we were working in these call centers, you know, personal video was exploding on the consumer internet. This is all anyone was doing, was watching short video stories, right? Whether it be embedded in a social app or, you know, a website or whatever it may be. So we kind of said, hey, you know, the best way to drive effectiveness in these environments is when a rep, in this case, you know, a call center rep is highly authentic and highly personal. That was really the only theme that we saw that was consistent. So then we said, hey, you know, we know the right medium is short form video. So is it at all possible to enable, you know, a large number of people to record highly compliant and effective short form videos at just the right time at a really low cost, right? Because it's super easy to send one fancy video out to a student population or whatever it may be. Uh, You can also send one video to one person. What about many videos from 
many people. Mm. Not so easy, right? Not so easy. So that's what we started to do. And that really was the nucleus of the idea. We started working with nonprofits initially because uh, we knew that it was kind of probably a good idea for fundraising. And from there, some of our customers, again, talking to your customers uh, in advancement departments, they said, hey, Justin, have you guys thought about admissions and recruiting? Because that's a pretty interesting use case. Um, and I said, yeah, sure, we've thought about it. Right. Uh, but the truth is, we, 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 you know, we kind of thought about it, but we hadn't really talked to any of those customers. Right. So we started. We talked to one. We talked to two. I remember our first five came on board in like the first month that we were talking to these groups. And it was like, holy moly, this is a real need. Right. Admissions counselors, recruiting officers, they're trying to find ways to be more personal. They're trying to find more ways to be authentic. And it's really freaking hard today. Right. So. That, that was kind of the story. And the ball just rolled down the hill faster and faster and faster. Now, you know, we're in 10 plus states, every Canadian province, Europe, Australia, and it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Now, at what point did you and Michael meet? And Michael, your co-founder, uh, what, yeah. what is the, what's the story there? Did you guys meet in school or how did you guys cross paths? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, so yeah, Michael and I met at school. And uh, so Queen's University plays a really important role in uh, a lot of the stories I'll share today. So that's where Michael and I met. It's a, a pretty good school outside of Toronto, Ontario, but which is where Michael and I grew up, about two and a half hours east in a town called Kingston, which is a really picturesque town on Lake Ontario. It gets pretty cold though. So it's really picturesque four or five months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Michael and I met, he's a year older than I am. Uh, we had some mutual friends. We started playing squash together. Um, and they didn't have tennis courts really at Queens. So we started playing squash was kind of what a lot of people did. And we were both incredibly competitive. Turned out we both had, you know, uh, particular views of the world and challenged each other. Uh, he also came from an entrepreneurial family. I did, and we just kind of hit it off as friends. Um, you know, that friendship grew to doing projects and ventures together. Uh, after school, Michael went to work at a startup, um, and then I went to work in consulting. But of course, we stayed in touch. We actually wrote a book together huh. uh, on personal finance. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, Queens is involved in that story too. And then um, we kind of together came up with the idea for for Good Kind, which is now you know we're almost at twenty people. Um, so yeah, that the friendship's really at the core of it. And Michael's the co-founder and CTO, and I have the other hat. Fantastic, love stories like that. And so this is a nice segue into my next question, which was, uh, and you've touched on this a little bit, but around how success was characterized in your home growing up. So. Sounds like dinner table conversation was uh, sort of like an idea brainstorm, uh, opportunities to think about problems in the world and propose solutions, very sort of like dynamic environment. Uh, what did your parents think about higher education? Was there this expectation mm -hmm. that you that you go to university or what were conversations around uh, pursuing an advanced degree uh, or pursuing sort of any education post high school? What was there? What were the thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so my parents are kind of like the opposite of like Tiger, you know, Tiger Mom. If you've heard, you know <laughs> yeah. read about all that, they weren't super intense about that, right? Um, I like to read from a really young age. I read a ton. Um, I like to write, and I was good in school. Um, so it was kind of a natural thing that I went to university, but it wasn't because I was pushed per se, right? Uh, like my dad started and stopped a number of degrees. Like he, you know. Uh, 
you know, went from a bachelor's of science, didn't finish it because he got into dental school early, didn't finish dental school. So funny enough, I was actually you know, the first one in the family. My mom went to college. Uh, college in Canada has a different meaning than it does in the States. Um, and um, yeah, but I was never pushed hard to go, um, but it was kind of natural because I was good in school and I liked academia. I would mm. say I enjoyed academia and my undergrad was actually not in business or anything close to it. I did it in sociology and a little bit of economics. Huh. Um, so that was a big part also of who I am is just studying the humanities, took a lot of philosophy and politics courses too. Uh, I loved, loved school for all kind of the old fashioned reasons, right. About building, you know, uh, or creating cultivated and, uh, you know, engaged uh, members of society. And I, I'm a bit of an old soul in that way. Uh, still really close with a bunch of my professors. But no, I wasn't really pushed. In terms of how success was characterized, again, no real pressure there. And I think that's important. Um, I, you know, my parents had expectations of me, but they weren't things that they pushed super hard. I was pretty self-motivated. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of a roundabout answer to your question. No, no, that that's a good one. So talk to us about your decision to go to Queens. Like, was there, were there several different schools on your list and that's the one that worked out because of uh, an array of reasons or were you pretty mm. set on that, that school from, from the get-go or you, you mentioned a couple times already that Queens has like played this like a uh, special part of your story. So mm. was, what, how, I guess, what did your own college application process look like? Sure. Uh, it's funny. I actually was not planning on going to Queens uh, University. I was um, planning to go to University College of London in uh, in the UK. Huh. Uh, very good school in London, and I missed out on a scholarship that I anticipated getting. Uh, and I only learned about this a couple days before I was supposed to go. Oh my god! Uh, so my mind was fully. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this school in the UK. It's this really cool experience. I was going to do a degree in economics at this really historic. Uh, institution, right? Uh, UCL has been around for a really long time, and uh, it's 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 an excellent an excellent school. But due to you know reasons outside of my control, I didn't end up going. So um, my options were kind of Queens or uh, the University of Western Ontario, and it was pretty. Uh, you know, I didn't go too deep. I was like, okay, I knew too many people that were going to Western, so I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> so I can't tell you that there was more to it than that. Um, but that was what happened, and. Yeah, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, met Michael, which was important because uh, now we're, we're building this together with with our team. So, and in high school, what was it that you thought you were going to be? So your your senior year, you're about to go to college. You end up studying sociology. Was there any intent behind that? Did you think you mm -hmm. you said you liked academia? Did you think about maybe becoming a professor at some point, getting a PhD, or what were, where were you headed? Um, if you can remember back to, to your senior year of high school, what, what did you think that you would be doing post-college? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll give my age away here. I was in, I finished high school in 2012. So I was at that time, it was funny. I was always, I always knew I was going to end up in business. Uh, I've, I think business is a really good way to solve problems. Of course, there are other methods, but that's the one that I thought was, you know, within my control. Um, so for me, it was always, I knew I was going to end up doing that, but I didn't know specifically what, because the word business is a highly, highly <laughs> generic <laughs> word. Um, but um, I didn't want to study business because I kind of had this belief and I still do, frankly, that, um, 
you can learn a lot by trying things on your own, right? And now there's a huge, huge, huge ecosystem and infrastructure in place to uh, learn about how to launch projects on your own and so forth. So I didn't want to study business. Um, I wanted to learn and write and read. Hmm. And for me, that came from the humanities, just because I wasn't, frankly, as good at uh, the, the sciences. Now I, you know, think about, hey, maybe I should have done physics. I feel like that would have been interesting, but wasn't wasn't that wasn't you know I was always more attracted to the humanities and books. Um, that decision and it's kind of contrarian, unfortunately. You know, the death of the humanities. I know you actually spoke about this somewhat recently. I remember reading something you wrote or or or, or on a podcast, um, but learning how to write. It sounds so trivial, is an incredibly, uh, you know, rare skill these days, right? Uh, You just don't see it. And when you're writing an essay, you learn how to think critically and in a structured, uh, methodical way. And you also have to be creative. Um, So that was incredibly useful to me, even in a business environment. I went to go work in management consulting after, which is kind of, you know, super, super ultra competitive. I was actually like the only humanities student who was working at at that firm that I was at. And I can't tell you the value of the degree I had. Mm. Um, it actually shocks me to this day that like, you know, I was, I was able to be kind of a top achiever and a lot of it was because I was just a better writer and, you know, more clear thinker, not smarter by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I was incredibly smart. I was working with incredibly smart people. I was dead by no means smarter or even the, in the top, top half, but I, I was really good at a couple things and those things resonated. And a lot of it was because of the degree I had. Um, so I do advocate for the humanities uh, every day as much as I can. Um, and really it just comes down to being um, well-rounded, I think. And you get a nice, you get a nice, um, you know, you, you, you get that from a humanities. Degree, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so much of what the startup environment is really the building of any business you're working with people, right? You need to understand people. You need to understand what motivates people, how people think. Yeah. You need to understand how to communicate effectively to people, both internally and externally. You also need to really understand consumer behavior, right? And what better yes. way to understand consumer behavior than understanding psychology, understanding sociology, understanding how to communicate ideas in a clear and concise way that compel people to take a particular action, right? So mm-hmm. I love founders who are now working in tech that have sort of like a humanities background because one, I just think that they're able to communicate their ideas in a way that resonates just so much more clearly than uh, folks who are from a strictly technical background. Maybe that's a bias too, because I also <laughs> studied humanities. Um, but yeah. uh, but no, but I, I think that there is a lot of merit to that, right? Being able to apply sort of good um, writing, a good uh, communication of, of ideas, a solid understanding of what it is that how people think and why they think the the way that they think. If you want to be able to change behavior, right, which good kind in its very product is trying to do, you have to first understand why people behave that, you know, the ways in which they behave. So I love that. And, um, uh, super, super interesting. So I'm curious, sounds like you've had lots of side projects you've worked on over the years. You seem to be sort of like what I would call like a tinkerer, somebody who's, who's constantly working, uh, thinking on an idea, playing uh, with an idea uh, in a notebook or, uh, you know, in, in your head, whatever it might be. What were a couple of the ideas that you've had over the course of, uh, of your life that uh, you thought in the moment would be really solid? Um, and then in hindsight, <laughs> 
realized, you know what? Maybe those weren't the best of ideas. Yeah, it's just, oh man, there's so many. Uh, and Michael is really my frequent collaborator and partner on this. And Michael's even more creative than I am. A lot of the ideas actually were, were, were his. And, um, um, you know, early versions of good kinds uh, were far less good, right? Uh, it's it, You can't really, you know, it took us a while to figure out what the ingredients were. Like we, we understood the end picture that we needed to get to, but it took a long time to figure out what the puzzle pieces were. Mm. And, you know, over six months of tinkering and playing with different concepts, right? Till we were like, okay, fine. This finally makes sense, right? We're seeing our customers are seeing awesome results. It makes sense now. Um, but there were early versions that were, were definitely not as good, but we were just missing the mark. And, and the learning from that is you really have to talk to your customers. Like, um, we spend still an inordinate amount of time, myself, the customer success team, our technical team talking to our customers. I hope they're, they're not too annoyed with us. I know they're not, <laughs> yes. but um, yeah, there was a bunch of, a bunch of uh, you know, I call them slight misfires. And with every additional iteration, we got closer and closer to that bullseye. And that's what matters. And to say that we're not still iterating would be a lie, right? We're continuing to evolve the product. Uh, so it's more and more effective for our customers. And that's a big part of, 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 um, of what we do. Uh, to this day. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. All right, let's talk about video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected at this point from Generation Z. But you've got little time. You've got next to no budget. And your Marcom department is already two months late on those new program brochures they promised you. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet this week's sponsor, GoodKind. GoodKind is a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention, and in a sea full of static HTML emails from other schools, a personalized video is how you stand out. It's how you make a difference. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey through email, texting, and even WhatsApp. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit www.wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to start your free trial. Show your face show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. What, what sort of strategies would you recommend for a founder who might be listening to this, to the, to this podcast right now? And they don't have even their first customer yet, right? They're still sort of in like the building phase of V1 of their product, right? MVP stage. Mm -hmm. um, how, it sounds like customer feedback has been so uh, instrumental in sort of how GoodKind has, has evolved. What sort of uh, strategies or, or tips and tricks would you give somebody who's still in the building phase but wants some sort of validation that their MVP, their V1, is solid enough to even be mm -hmm. a V1 or MVP? I'd probably change the order of operations. I, I wouldn't write one line of code hmm. before I talk to 25 or 50 people hmm. that you think you want to be building for because you have no idea what you're doing, right? Uh, you may have an assumption about how something may work, 
but you may be completely, completely wrong, right? So then you're going to spend all this time like coding or doing whatever, building hardware, whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, you have this thing, you're really proud of it, but it could be completely wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, it could be the timing's wrong. Who knows what could be wrong? It may not actually be a problem people are having. So before even, you know, picking up that keyboard or whatever, <laughs> notebook, depending on what you're doing, uh, you got to talk to people. You got to talk to the talk to a bunch of people and understand exactly uh, is there a common thread in the challenges that they're having, right? I talked about the the challenges that our customers at Goodkind were having, which is you know people are falling out of the funnel too frequently. Uh, they're not engaged throughout that funnel. They're tuning out, you know, tuning people out from these emails and whatever it may be. Uh, and it was a very common thread. It was a desire to be more authentic and more personal at scale, right? At the scale of hundreds, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of applicants. Um, so it was a very clear common problem that, you know, most schools are having. And even today, like when we talk to customers, like if they decide to pass on good kind, it's never because they don't see the problem, right? It's an integration or whatever else it may be. And that's also really reassuring, right? It's, it's, it's very clear what that problem is, which means, okay, we've kind of built a solution for the problem. We're onto something, right? Um, so I'd say this: the order of operations should always be talk, 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 listen, listen, listen. More than you talk, <laughs> always listen a lot more than you talk. When when we were in the early days, I had kind of a rule that you know I didn't want to do more than thirty or forty percent of the talking in a conversation with an early customer, right? If you're the one who are who's talking, then you're probably not doing a good good enough job listening, right? Uh, and it's kind of a I don't know if that's a want to call it a rule of thumb, but I found that that was always really effective, and even. I tell our sales team today that like when they're talking to customers for the first time, try really hard not to talk more than 20, 30, 40% of the time. Listen, ask questions, understand, empathize. I think that's how we're a little bit different than like a classic software company. If we don't think a solution is right for a particular customer, we're not going to try to sell them good kind, right? Because what's the point? Um, we try really hard to make sure we understand the actual problem that they're having. Uh, to see if we're the right solution. And if we're not, we'll probably recommend something that we think is a better fit. So well said. Um, and lots of lessons to, to unpack there. Um, I'm curious before I should have asked this even earlier, where did the name good kind come from? Oh man. Uh, another funny story. Um, <laughs> so the initial name for the company was give magic. All right. And uh, not Give that many magic. people know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was because we were, again, serving mainly nonprofits. And we still have a lot of those same customers to this day. And they're our earliest customers and some of our biggest supporters. Um, when we started talking to admissions and recruiting departments, and now we have a couple other verticals that we play in as well, it, you know, Give Magic just didn't resonate. It was a little juvenile. It was like, what the heck? I don't really understand what this thing means. So we kind of sat down and thought about it and said, you know, what are we really trying to do here? Like, Fundamentally, hmm. what we're trying to do is make people happier. It sounds trivial, but when you make things more authentic and personal, it's better for the person who's on one side of the quote unquote camera, which is that admissions counselor, student tour guide, whomever it may be, and the person on the other side, which is that prospective student or parent, right? We do a lot of K to 12 as well. So that's why I mentioned parent, um, international student, whatever. Um, so we're trying to make this experience a lot better, right? So that was 
the beginning idea was we're trying to do we're trying to make it good we want to do the good kind of communication mm. uh, the good kind of communication is one that is authentic that's personal that's not fake we're not trying to fake personal and carrie i know talked about that on the on the other podcast that you had us on um so that's really what it's about is a new kind of communication one that is good and that's how we came up with the name good kind um so, and we actually just launched a new brand too. Um, so I'd encourage you to check out our website after this, www.wearegoodkind.com, where we took this up an even you know, a bigger notch and really uh, emphasized the, the role of faces and people in our brand uh, for really the first time. So we're pretty thrilled with how that came out. You know, what's really interesting is I saw the previous website and and the previous brand, right? And I always, yeah. I always like, oh, in- interesting. Like, I mean, it was, it was a nice site. There was nothing wrong with it. The brand was cool. Um, and I thought, good kind, huh? I wonder what that means. And it's funny when I saw the new brand and the new website, yeah. it was actually the very first time. And I didn't actually know this to be true until this, this actual moment, but I thought, oh, it's the good kind of messaging. Uh, that's, that's what yeah. you're getting at. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, I, yeah. again, I, I, we didn't talk about this before. I hadn't talked about this with, with Carrie or anyone else on the team before. So, um, Whatever you guys did with the branding, it it triggered that thought in my head. So congrats. That's um, cool. You guys, Thank you, you guys I did appreciate it there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's too funny. It's like a constant iteration like everything else, right? Like yeah. we've had a bunch of websites. And the reason is, is because we're just getting sharper at explaining what we do and how we do it. And we listen to customers, understand how they explain what we do. And uh, again, the approach that we've taken, and this is going to be one that's consistent, is that, sure, you can use bots and automation if you want, right? And sure, it's more scalable, but is it what your students want, mm. right? It's usually not, it's usually not. So we've kind of taken this approach that, you know, we know that you care about your students. We hear that all the time. Good kind just makes it easier to care, right? Uh, and that we hope really comes through in what we write, what we talk about and, and how the product looks and feels. I like this uh, this concept too because I, I do think it's something that the entire industry is wrestling with. Is like, okay, what is the right balance between mass automation, right, and mm-hmm. personalization, and like, how do you how do you give the student, especially right over this last year, the kind of experience that they would have if they're talking directly to an admissions counselor or um, you know to a director of admissions on a campus tour to a student for that matter? How do you how do you replicate that as close as possible in a digital format and this you know one-to-one video is is arguably the closest thing to doing that um outside of maybe uh you know one-to-one asynchronous video outside of maybe an actual zoom call it's maybe the next best thing um but right i i think that um i think that what's interesting is what we'll probably see is we'll probably still see things like chatbots and automated communications working at the the highest level of the funnel and then to to qualify people and once that qualification happens and once you really understand who are your most qualified inquiries for any given program then really it is about like okay how do you Mm -hmm. sell them on the experience and the best way to sell them on an experience is to introduce them to somebody who is living that experience right or who knows a lot about that that experience so um, yep. I'd love to see sort of how these things continue to like work in tandem because I don't think they're mutually exclusive. For sure not. I couldn't agree more with that. Like top of funnel when you're kind of dealing with a bunch of leads, um, you, know, you do need to use tools like that, right? To qualify people and so forth. So I, I, I totally agree with that, right? We're one channel, right? Good kinds, one channel, one way to communicate. Um, by no means uh, you know, would we ever advocate for this becoming your entire funnel. Um, sure. 
at those key decision points and those key moments when you really, really need to make an impression, there probably is no more you know, effective way to do it than a video message. But to your point, higher up in the funnel, couldn't agree more. You know, when you're nudging people through that process, especially higher up, 100%, I, I would agree with that. Um, so by no means are they mutually exclusive. As I was uh, prepping for this interview, I was stalking you on LinkedIn and I stumbled upon uh, a job title that you held. Uh, I believe it was founder or co-founder of Aberdeen Textbooks. And based <laughs> off of the little description that followed, it sounded like there was an interesting story around this this little yeah. project, this little venture. Could you tell us a little bit about what Aberdeen oh, Textbooks man. was? You went deep. You went deep. Uh, no, that's good. Um, absolutely. So this was another fun project that I did with Michael. Um, when we started at Queen's, Aberdeen is kind of the party street in Kingston, Ontario. So okay. we called it Aberdeen textbooks. That was kind of uh, funny, I guess. Uh, funny in our world back then. It's not actually that funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, we'd go on the, the campus, uh, you know, textbooks, the price of textbooks. That was okay. It's still a problem, right? Uh, textbooks are really freaking expensive and you got to buy a new edition every year and so forth. And I, I don't know enough to talk in detail about why that is the case. I'm sure there are good arguments for it and maybe there's good ones against it. But, um, we found that the same textbooks on Amazon uh, were on average about 13% cheaper than the campus bookstore, right? It's like, oh my God, you know, we are first, you know, first year students struggling with money, whatever, like every, like most other students. And it's like, okay, if we can save, you know, 50, 70, 85 bucks across seven, eight books, that's pretty meaningful, right? That's a week of groceries or whatever. Um, so we created a very simple website where we just linked to um, textbooks on Amazon. Right, um, worked incredibly well. We had at one point, I think, fifty percent of the student body on the website in Uniques uh, in one wow. week. So we're talking like you know eight, nine thousand students or something like that or more were on the website. Um, so we did this for a couple semesters fairly successfully, and it ended precipitously when uh, one we realized that it wasn't really a scalable business. It was it's kind of a fun little project, and Michael and I, you know work together on it and that was fun. Um, he also graduated was another reason it, it, it stopped and the campus bookstore wasn't too happy with us. <laughs> that, we, uh, that, was, that was the other funny part. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't thrilled. Um, but what the, uh, the story gets even funnier, you know, uh, you know two, two years later, I mentioned earlier uh, in, the, in the podcast that uh, Michael and I wrote a book. So we wrote a book on personal finance. Uh, this is interesting. Um, when I graduated from school, most of my friends had no idea what to do with money, right? Uh, I was lucky and privileged in that I just learned from, I you know, talked about my family a little bit earlier on and just general interest, but it's a mess, personal finance, more so in the US and Canada even, and, and a lot of people don't know what to do. So, you know, Michael saw it in his friend group and so forth. So we wrote this like little pocketbook on mm. personal finance and we ended up selling it to over, I think it was like 15 university bookstores at the end. And the first one who bought it was the, <laughs> the Queens University bookstore. So no the story came uh, <laughs> and, and uh, they're their customer of today with good kind. Uh, so we're, you know, uh, it, it's just funny how the world comes full circle like that. Um, and I'm sure the people there are lovely. I know that they are. And, um, you know, we apologize for any pain we may have caused you for a couple, a couple of weeks per semester for two years when we were there earlier on. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the funny story. But uh, really, it's just in the spirit of tinkering, right? Like we saw this problem, we had it. So most likely other students had it. Turns out they did. Uh, a little bit of execution and then, you know, turned into a fun little thing. So that's a fantastic story. Um, and I love the fact that 
Queens is now a good kind client. That just that's the cherry <laughs> on top. Um, so after graduation, you I think pretty immediately uh, took a job yeah. at Accenture um, yeah. and worked there for for a couple years. I'm curious, uh, what sort of lessons did you learn working in management consulting that have born fruit as you've entered into startup world, if any? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of conceptions and misconceptions about management consulting, some of which are true, some aren't. Um, I had a really good experience. I had bosses who cared. Um, I was lucky. I worked on a lot of cool projects. I mentioned the call center stuff earlier, which you know, formed as a foundation and inspiration for some of the work that we're doing today. Um, what I learned was the value of polish. Hmm. Um, what I mean by that is every email that went out, every deck that we sent out, uh, whatever it was, had to be really, really good, had to be of a certain quality. Whether or not that's actually what customers and clients want, they probably don't want you spending, you know, a lot of time formatting presentations, right? So that's a whole other argument. However, uh, that was the expectation. So I learned how to put quality, quality material together. And I learned how to articulate. You know, we talked a lot about that, writing, thinking, clarity. All of that really came to the fore very quickly for me at the firm. And I just learned how to execute at a high level. Um, and that was the expectation. And for that reason, it was an incredibly valuable experience. Mm -hmm. I also learned how companies operate, how hierarchies work. Um, how to work with teams, right? Um, highly stressful, you know, sometimes competitive environment. So uh, that was my biggest takeaway was kind of the idea and concept of polish and, and just execute. Yeah, I think that that's, what's interesting about that is a lot of the time in startup literature, uh, AKA Twitter, um, <laughs> you, you hear, you read a lot about sort of scrappy and being scrappy, um, and th there's sort of like a, a fine line between like being scrappy and sloppy. Um, and I think that a temptation, right. As you're, you're getting started is to take not the path of least resistance, but like, don't spend right. Your, 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 uh, investors would probably not want you spending tens or, or hundreds of hours on slide decks for prospective, uh, customers or reports. Right. Um, and for yet sure. I do think like there is, there's a lot of wisdom in, in really pursuing, uh, great content, uh, over mediocre content. Uh, and I, I do think in this, in, in the world that we're living in today, right? Like there's this temptation to think that like more is always better. Uh, the more content that you can crank out, the better it'll be, the more blog articles you can write, the quicker you'll increase your SEO around the terms and topics that you, that you care about. And, you know, I, th I think at the end of the day, both people uh, and and search engines will will <laughs> award quality yeah. over over sheer quantity, and so it's neat to know that you garnered some of that insight during your time in a more traditional career path before you ventured off into startup land. Yeah, no, it's listen. I, I agree with pretty much everything you've said. Right, we talked about noise in the context of students just getting a lot of stuff. Yeah, right? this idea of digital noise and stuff. Uh, what what allows something to shine through the noise, right? Well, it's like 
when someone realizes that there was thought and care put into something, right? It could be a blog post, could be a personal video, could be a conversation that was prepared for, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, the, the, the you mentioned Twitter, of course, and you have the common conceptions, you know, move fast and break things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I agree with moving fast. Like we wouldn't be here if, if we hadn't moved quickly and we continue to move quickly. However, in our case, uh, these video stories, we've sent over 350,000 of them. I think the number is now over 360,000. Our customers have sent. They're going in front of students, right? They're going in front of end consumers and customers. That means they have to be of a certain quality, right? Mm. Everything has to look a certain way. And we constantly iterate on how that looks and how that feels. Uh, and of course, we have a lot of data to inform those decisions. Um, so that's a big part of, of, of how we think and how we operate at good kind. It's just making sure that things are of a certain quality, every single time and a lot of the software companies that you'll have on the podcast i'm sure think the same way and that's why you know it's a good community that you and the team have curated um but yeah it's super super critical to me uh and it's something that we we practice a lot at good kind of getting better at every day great to hear great to hear um i want to talk a little bit about your time i think if again, your LinkedIn serves me correctly, uh, you yeah. spent a few months working for a pre-seed fund in Singapore. How did that come about? And, and oh, what, man. what lessons did you learn uh, during that season? Yeah, so I actually lived in Singapore for a year. Wow. Uh, so it was an academic exchange. So thanks again to, shout out to Queens, the international exchange office there. Um, and I was at the National University of Singapore for, for uh, I guess, a semester. And then I decided to extend uh, my time there because I felt like I still had a lot to learn and a lot to see. Uh, and I worked at a venture capital firm. So I was like, yeah, to, to your point, a pre-seed fund. So they just invest in really early stage companies. Um I learned that I didn't like being on that side of the table. That's kind mm. of what I learned. Um, what I learned was that I much preferred to be in the trenches with the people building the companies than I did on the other side, deciding and playing armchair critic, right? On who is good and who is not. Um, so that was my big learning. I really enjoyed that experience. Again, I had bosses who cared, which is just a common theme. Uh, I think in my career, I've just been lucky um, to find people who care. And at GoodKind, we really tried to do that as well, right? Uh, with, with new employees, junior or otherwise. Um, yeah, so I kind of just, in the end, spent more time with the portfolio companies than I did deciding, you know, uh, which ones we should pick. Uh, and that was a cool, cool experience and, and, and one that I'll, uh, you know, I, I take it for granted now, but I'm realizing how useful that experience was. But yeah, big takeaway was I much preferred the other side of the table uh, than being on the, on the money side. Yeah. And you all... If I'm not mistaken, you have raised good kinds raised a little bit of money up until this point, or, or like I, I guess like yeah. the question I'm I'm trying to get at is, did this experience help you at all with the fundraising component, or sure, and, and yeah, ab absolutely. That, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So yeah, we have raised a venture round, and we actually were just admitted to Y Combinator, which is a cool thing that we can talk about. Um, but yes understanding the investor side certainly helped inform uh, how we went about fundraising. I learned a ton the first time we went out and raised money. It was a cool learning experience. We met some awesome people. Um, and that process helped us iterate how we talk and explain good kind too, right? So it was a big, big learning experience for us that, um, that was very additive to the company at the end of the day. And of course, allowed us to, to hire more people and so forth. So yes, that's the, the short answer. I mean, it, it's funny if you like look back at everything that you've just shared with us, right? From 
conversations you had around the dinner table to how you thought about going to college to what you decided to study to what you did uh, during college, right, with this academic exchange program and getting a taste for what VC life was to working in management consulting to then going off on your own. And sounds like I'm just a machine. This it, is it, not it, good. It, like, it, I, it I am like, a fun person. It sounds like I promise. <laughs> no, no. It's, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like remarkably calculated, um, no, which I'm sure it funny. wasn't, but it does. It, it, yeah. It's funny how it looks that way on a resume. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned that. Like, I was a pretty serious kid growing up, and this experience in Singapore was actually really groundbreaking for me because it was the first time where I didn't have, you know, I, I, it felt like I didn't have real responsibilities. Um, and uh, I kind of learned, it sounds stupid, but like learned how to have fun, right? Uh, made friends that I'm still friends with today. I'm going to a wedding in uh, northern Sweden uh, next summer from one of my friends who I met, a uh, Norwegian guy. Um, visited Oxford in the UK to meet friends there. Uh, still have friends from that time. And I learned, you know, how to have fun. And um, I think while it does look back like a fairly contrived path, uh, it actually wasn't. Like, um, you know, the... I, I remember I was very close to not going into management consulting. There's a little company called Shopify in, uh, they're not so little, that was a joke, uh, in, in, in Toronto. And I, you know, interviewed there and at the end I decided for, to take the, you know, better paying job, which in retrospect is probably the wrong decision, right? Uh, starting Goodkind with Michael, that just really came out of a bunch of conversations that we had, right? I had no plan to like leave. Uh, right away. I knew down the road, I wanted to do my own thing and that I didn't want to be a consultant for my whole life. But at that time, there was nothing that was like, okay, I need to leave by this month, right? It, it, had all, it wasn't like that at all. Like working with nonprofits, you know, I do care about nonprofits, always have, but I didn't have some particular passion at the beginning. Um, it seemed like, um, you know, it does sound kind of contrived from a resume perspective, but funny enough, it actually wasn't. And I think I've learned as I've gotten older, and I, again, I'm still pretty young. So like everyone should take that, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. But like, uh, what, you know, if you over, like, it's not good to over plan. Right. And like, uh, I, you know, that's a whole nother podcast episode in itself. But, um, I think as I've learned more about admissions and recruiting, I feel bad for, you know, students who are applying for in this like 25 plus schools in the States. Um, again, different, different uh, culture and, and, and process in Canada, but it's stressful and yeah. I feel badly about it. And how does that kind of come to fruition? Like, I, I, I don't know, like, you know, fifth years, everyone's taking kind of fifth years these days at, at school because you just don't know what to do. And that's okay. Right. I think it's okay. Um, and that's why kind of being a bit more of a generalist and just keeping your net as wide open as you can for as long as you can allows you to um, make more informed decisions about what you want to do. Right. So you don't have to take a fifth year or sixth year when you still kind of spin your wheels trying to figure things out. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about that stuff. And, and it's not something I can spend a lot of time on right now because we're kind of busy. But uh, down the road, it, it is something that I want to go deeper into. Um, so yeah, it's, um, anyways, I think we're on a bit of a tangent, but I don't remember the initial question. <laughs> no, no. Um, and you, you slipped in very quickly, uh, the fact that you guys are in YC and I mm -hmm. am hoping that you could, for our listeners who might've heard mm -hmm. of Y Combinator, but not aren't, aren't entirely sure what it is. Could you just give us a quick little crash course on, um, why YC is such a big deal, especially for, uh, startup like a good kind yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. So Y Combinator is a um, technology accelerator program. Um, and really, it's just a fund. And they uh, put startups through a three-month, quote-unquote, boot camp, which is kind of not a really good descriptive word for it, but that is the, kind of the easiest word to use. Um, they accept a couple hundred startups twice a year. It's uh, incredibly competitive. I think this year was a 2.5% uh, acceptance rate. They got over 16,000 applications, which is pretty crazy to say out loud. Speaks to the infrastructure that's in place for people to build their own companies, which is really cool, um, uh, of course. Um, so you're assigned kind of a, a more far, 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 far more experienced and successful um, uh, kind of mentor. Um, you're held to pretty serious goals. Um, and really, for us, what Y Combinator has been is kind of a forcing function for getting things done faster out of the higher level. Hmm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is just bringing more intentionality and focus to what we do. Um, and that a lot of it is just kind of the culture of Y Combinator and being around all these incredibly, incredibly accomplished and, 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 and uh, impressive people and companies. Um, it's been a total treat and pleasure for us. Um, y Combinator culminates in something that's called Demo Day. So that's kind of what you're building towards for three months. Demo Day is this year. It's virtual. In the past, we would have kind of moved to San Francisco for three months to do this program. Uh, today, it's been it's, it's, it's virtual given uh, COVID. Um, so on demo day, you kind of present your startup in front of you know 2,000 plus of the best investors in the world, uh, and then you go and you know raise money afterwards, or you don't. Right? It's really up to you and based on what you can do. Um, but really, for us, it's it's kind of a cool stamp of approval. But really, it's not really about the approval, right? It's about us getting better and more effective in everything we do and how we operate the business and grow it. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see sort of this framework applied to more businesses, more ed tech companies, even yep. colleges and universities, right? Like, hey, you've got like three months to get <laughs> to figure these things out, right? You've got three months yeah. to figure out how you're going to position your product, which for schools, right, is your programs. Um, yeah. And we're going to have a demo day. Right. And we're going to we're going to decide at the end at the end, like which programs are going to get funding for marketing and, and admissions resources this year and which ones aren't. Um, yeah. And I, I, I like the idea and I really appreciate how you how you flesh that out in terms of at the end of the day. Right. This is kind of a way to make sure that shit gets done um, and yeah. that you spend the time and you do the work to really focus and. You know, I think a lot of times, especially early stage startups, right? Like you can kind of like live in this like ambiguous, like we're trying to change the world through video messaging and, and like, that's <laughs> great. And, and, uh, maybe sort of like the ultimate vision, but right. Practically speaking, okay. What does that actually mean? What do you yeah. sell? <laughs> Who do you sell to? Like how much right. money are you making? Right. How profitable yeah. uh, are you slash could you right. be? Right. So yeah. I, I like this idea of. I, I, I'm jealous even like I, I would love to I would love for somebody to come in and say okay you've got three months to figure out what the heck in Rollify's path is going to be for the next <laughs> you know 12 to 24 months uh, and then you've got a demo day and your fate will be decided there um, right yeah. probably change it's, the way that I work yeah 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 maybe right uh, for sure and you know speaking of iteration in, in, in the education space uh, specifically with the universities and colleges like um, so often conversations that we have with customers end up becoming, Hey, like, what do you think of this idea that we're working on? Like, there's no lack of ideas mm -hmm. and desire to execute those ideas. The problems are further downstream, I think. Um, but again, 
conversation we can have for another day. But uh, I had a conversation last last night with uh, with an MBA program in the US and like just turned into ideation about all the things that they were trying to do. And I was like, wow, this is super inspiring because we have a bunch of customers who are uh, coding schools. Mm. Uh, it's a category that's really exploded for us in the last month. And, you know, a lot of the particular grad school programs, let's say undergrad programs, are looking at uh, career boot camp type businesses and like we have a customer in that category uh these coding schools for what they're doing to um you know recruit uh students more effectively and what the outputs are um so there's it's not for lack of ideas that's for sure uh, i'm pretty uh excited when i have these conversations with customers because they're all thinking about these things all the time and we just try to be a forcing function for them it's just like hey like you know we can help you think about these you know these problems and these solutions because we're you know we're pretty innovative in that way um but yeah it's not a bad idea it's definitely not a bad idea i love it i love it um i've got two final questions for you justin and mm. this first one is one i ask everyone on the show and that is around an oh shit moment either recent it could even be a little bit less recent but a, a really a moment in time when you thought oh no good kind is going to crash and burn what was i thinking <laughs> This is a terrible idea. No one's going to buy this product. Um, yeah. Walk us through a moment where you were sort of like you had hit rock bottom and then talk a little sure. bit about how you were able to muster up the courage to pick yourself up off the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so funny enough, there hasn't been a moment like that with good kind. There were a bunch with prior versions and iterations where it's like, oh, my God, like people don't understand what we're saying. Uh, this isn't resonating. What the heck are we going to do? We're burning through our personal savings. Uh, there were a lot of those moments for mm. sure, right? But the reason we're doing well now is because we're not having those moments, right? We're talking to customers and they're signing up and they're seeing quick success uh, and it's really inspiring. So the problems that we have now are like scaling problems, which is, you know, a school's got to recruit 75, you know, they have 75,000 students in their funnel. Can we effectively help them? We've got a lot of schools like that. How do we scale our customer success to make sure that every single customer gets the same quality of service and attention? Um, how do we grow our sales team and processes? Like those are the problems that I'm dealing with today. And they're really good problems to have because we wouldn't have them if things weren't going well. Um, but in terms of like the, oh shit, what the heck are we going to do moment? Thank God, luckily haven't had that in kind of the good kind era, had a too many of them to count prior. <laughs> well, good. Well, hey, knock on wood. Here's to hoping that uh, your yeah. oh shit moments are are done at least for the next few yeah. years. Um, and and we'll yeah yeah power to you. That's but I think what's what's uh, exciting about that is uh, and and really encouraging about that is understanding that hey when you do get an idea right right I mean when you have the right systems and processes in place right and you've got like this feedback loop working right yeah. where you're constant and that's really what. You've, you've mentioned sort of this uh, a few times throughout our conversation, but how, how I would sort of just uh, summarize, I, I think what you're getting at is like, there is just amazing feedback. There's an amazing feedback loop between you guys, between your customers, between strategy, between execution, uh, between the actual uh, product team and the customer success team. And I think that that is, um, that's where the magic happens. And I think that too yeah. often, right, that feedback which seems easy, but is actually a lot harder to facilitate a culture where feedback is like welcomed, accepted, acted upon, and implemented than I think folks often think, right? Every, everyone thinks that they're decent at giving feedback, and yet 
at the same time, or most of the time, I think companies really uh, struggle to break down the silos that exist between teams, between departments, between totally. themselves and their customers in order to make that a, a more fluid sort of friction-free experience. Yeah. Listen, like as companies get bigger and bigger, they often forget about their customers. They kind of take for granted that they have customers, right? Like that's the biggest lesson that we've learned through Y Combinator and even before just with our mentor you know, network and whatnot is just never lose sight of what your customers want and what they need and what problems they have. Because if you do, you're going to build the wrong stuff and you're no longer going to be valuable to them. Like, I, I, yeah, I can't emphasize that enough. Like it's the most important thing. Like we have a lot of uh, internal things we do to get you know, feedback, uh, data, of course, but also just having conversations with customers, what, you know, what, what needs they have, what challenges they're facing, what they foresee the future will look like in, 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 in all of that. And there's one you know, school in Southwestern Ontario, that's been one of our biggest sources of that feedback. And, um, it's actually been incredible to see how they've, uh, continued to innovate and how they thought about the future, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago before COVID was even, you know, those were just informal conversations because we hadn't actually started at that point. But um, yeah, it's the most important thing when you're building an early stage company and even when you're a little bit more later stage too, right? Uh, I think it's it's mission critical. My last question for you, I know that you are so dedicated to GoodKind right now. Like GoodKind is still very much in its uh, genesis stage, right? Um and you guys are in YC, and this is really exciting. You are, I'm sure, totally swamped. Um, lots of potential opportunity here. Really, really exciting stuff. But uh, if I had, if I put you up against a wall and said, "Hey, Justin, I, I really want you to tell me, okay, if there is any other business or any other problem that you'd like to work on or uh, a company that you'd like to start, uh, what would it be? How would you Oof. answer that question?" Yeah, you know, it's, um, well, the first thing I'd say is I wish we started good kind earlier, right? Like, I wish we would have had those insights that we had uh, come a little bit later. I wish we had them earlier, right? Because now it's like clear we're onto something. It's kind of an interesting anecdote. I was listening to a podcast by um, Uber's main investor. Mm. And his name's Bill Gurley. Uh, I think he's the main investor. And he was saying that when the founders realized they had product market fit, and that's an ex, you know, a term that you know, Google it if you haven't heard of it, it's just when you realize you built the right thing for the right problem. It was quite a moment. And when you have product market fit in a big market, um, in our case, education is definitely the first and most important one. It's kind of an oh shit, but good Oh shit, as, as you referenced it before. Um, that's kind of what's happened internally last kind of two, three months at GoodKind. Um, I don't think we realized how big uh, the need was when we started. I don't think we realized that more and more and more and more people that talk to customers and are customer facing want to be far more authentic. They're tired of the other stuff, right? The noise. Um, I don't think we realized the power of that until more recently. Um, so, to be honest, I don't actually have a good answer for you. Uh, I don't know that there's a, actually something else I'd rather be, not necessarily rather, because it wasn't really a question, but like if there's something else I'd be working on. And I think I would be working on this. Um, I think Michael would answer the same thing. I think the rest of the team would answer the same thing. And the reason is because it, it's it's working for our customers. They're seeing yeah. value. Um, that's a pretty exciting thing. And it goes back to kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, which is kind of the, the, the purpose of this podcast series is like, it's pretty special to... Uh, create something from scratch that people ascribe value to, right? That's a pretty special thing. And I didn't appreciate the value of craftsmanship in any meaningful way until good kind, until we saw it. it's like, oh my God, like, you know, 
our customers are really happy. Like they're enjoying using this tool. They're getting value. They're admitting more students. Yield's going up. Melt is going down. Now we can measure those things, right? Which is pretty cool. It took us a long time to measure it. Um, so yeah, I think the short answer is I'd be working on this. I just wish we would have figured it out faster because there's a lot of months of pain in there at the beginning, uh, which is part of the process, right? You want it to be painful. If it's not painful, then something's probably wrong, right? Like these things don't just come out of, you know, two people don't just sit in a room and be like, oh, we just came up with the next like Uber. Like that's not actually how it works. <laughs> like uh, that's really funny. I was on like a, like a panel. It's like, oh, how'd you come up with this idea? Like, did you guys like whiteboard it out? Like, no, we didn't whiteboard it out right in a room by ourselves for, you know, two days, right? That's not actually how these things work, even though if the movies or whatever else popular culture says it is, like, that's not what happens. It is having those hard conversations with customers, them not understanding you, and then iterating on those and iterating on them and talking to people. And then eventually, if you're lucky, figuring it out. So well said. Uh, Justin, this has been remarkable. I really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy season, your very busy sprint here uh, to <laughs> sit down with me and, and share your story, share a little bit of the Good Kind story. Uh, we will have links to Good Kind's website, to your LinkedIn, um, any other sort of uh, email addresses you want us to link. We'll have all that linked below in the show notes, guys. So if you want to learn more about the, uh, Good Kind's product and or just follow Justin and his team's journey, you can do so by clicking on any of the links below. Um, but Justin, thank you so much for, again, for just your time, for being here. Best of luck through, uh, as you gear up for demo day, we'll be watching and, um, yeah, just <laughs> thankful to have you guys as, uh, as a part of the Enrollify network. Thank you, Zach, for having me. This was a ton of fun and, and thank you for building Enrollify, right? I don't think, um, you know, like what you guys have done is really special. It's really cool. And I hear from our customers all the time that are listening and learning from your content. Uh, it happens two, three times a week. Um, so continue doing what you're doing. It's super exciting. We're, we're, we're really uh, happy to be part of it. Well, appreciate it. All right, man, take care. Bye-bye, see ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Starter Stories. Starter Stories is brought to you by Enrollify a learning community for enrollment managers and higher ed marketers. Enrollify was built to empower enrollment marketers with the ideas, the strategies, and the tools that they need to optimize the resources that they do have to generate the results that they need. You can explore our other podcasts or sign up for one of our newsletters or watch an episode of Frideas, our weekly video segment, at enrollify.org. Oh, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button or leave us a review. And if you like what we're about, share this content with a friend. Finally, if you know a founder in the ed tech or education consulting space that you think we should have on this show, please send me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org.